Today's episode is a rebroadcast from the best of the Love in Action podcast. Enjoy the episode. Never become attached to the results of what you're doing. Never become attached to achievement. Never become attached to the results because what happens, it's a fool's game. It's a fool's yeah. game for a reason. One is you don't have total control over the results. And two is even more deep. Let's say you achieve the results. All right, how much satisfaction does that bring? A week, a day, a month? Not much. If you're really driven to achieve, guess what you have to do? You have to achieve more. So you get into this cycle of, I have to do better than last year. And one, mm -hmm. of, the, one of the people that endorsed the book is Albert Berla. Albert sealed Pfizer, so I called Albert. I said, Albert, how's it going? He said, pretty good year. You know, came up with a vaccine, saved a billion lives or so. That's pretty good. And then that's nice. And then I have a new pill. Oh, good. See you over the year. And employee engagement through the roof and company pride as high. I said, Albert, Albert, great news. What's the problem? He said, a huge problem. Next year. If Albert's definition of a successful life is he has to do better than last year, he might as well give up. It's not yeah. going to happen. He will never repeat it. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to another episode of the Love in Action podcast, the show where we explore the intersection of business leadership and practical love, the kind of love that helps humans at work to flourish and businesses to thrive. Hey, we're not shy about the impact of love in the workplace. You know, some people may call it care. Others will call it compassion. We don't shy away from love because at the end of the day, leaders that love well and, and cultures of love clearly outperform the competition glad you're here please share the episode with a friend so we can continue to spread the love and action message globally i'm excited about today's guest if you've read the new york times bestsellers triggers and what got you here won't get you there <laughs> You should right about now be going, yes, because the one and only Marshall Goldsmith will be joining us shortly. Marshall has a brand new book out called The Earned Life. And in this book, he uncovers the source of today's existential crisis, regret. The kind stemming from choices we make that alter our lives, that reroutes our destinies and really kind of haunts our memories, which these days are, are really timely themes as the pandemic and the great resignation have inspired so many people to seek meaning in their lives. Marshall will help us to see that the key to living a life unbound by regret is committing to a habit of earning and connecting that habit to something greater than just, you know, merely chasing after the next career achievement. Because so many of us have achieved lots and yet we still hold regrets. So if you've ever been caught in a cycle of regrets, I mean, I think that's pretty much all of us. Marshall is here to tell us how to remove the obstacles that 
prevent us from creating our own fulfilling lives. And who better to help us remove those obstacles than the number one ranked executive coach in the world, right? Dr. Marshall Goldsmith is a New York Times number one best-selling author, has written or edited 43 books, which have sold over 2.5 million copies, which have been translated into 32 languages. And as I mentioned, yes, Marshall has been recognized for years as the world's leading executive coach. He has advised more than 200 major CEOs of the biggest companies on the planet. Marshall is a member of the Thinkers 50 Hall of Fame. He is the only two-time Thinkers 50, number one leadership thinker in the world. And he was chosen as the inaugural winner of the Lifetime Award for Leadership by the Harvard Institute of Coaching. And what an honor here that he is here today. And I'm looking at him right now through the screen. Marshall now joins us. Welcome to the Love and Action Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very honored to be here. I love what you're doing. Thank you so much. I have loved what you're doing for decades now. But, uh, and, and well, here we are. So we, you know, before we get into this journey of how you arrived at this book, and uh, I want you to tell us a little bit, uh, hopefully you're not tired of this question, Marshall, because you've probably answered it a million times. But we want to get to know sort of the Marshall Goldsmith, the person a little bit. So tell us, what is your story? What's that one pivotal moment in your life? So connect the dots for us, how you arrived to where you are now. What's your story? Well, I'll tell you two elements of the story. Um, yeah. One is, I think a lot of my life is just great mentors. So just very, very good mentors. So one of them was uh, Dr. Paul Hersey. And I met him when I was very young, and he was Hersey and Blanchard developed situational leadership. He was the most highly paid person in the world in our field. And the one thing I did do that was smart is I knew my place. I, I literally served coffee. I carried the bags, cleaned up the room. I just helped. I was, you know, and I just watched him do what he did. He's a very, very wonderful teacher, and I wanted to be like him. So one day he became double booked and he said, can you do what I do? I said, I don't know. He said, I, I need help. Can you do it? I said, I don't know. He said, I'll pay $1,000 for a day. And I was 28 years old. I'm from Valley Station, Kentucky. I was making $15,000 a year. Hmm. You know what I said, I'm going to give it a shot. So I go to this program for the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company. They were incredibly angry when I showed up because it wasn't him. On the other hand, then I get ranked first place of all the speakers. And then they're happy. So I call Paul back and said, send him again. He said, you want to do this again? I said, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the calendar just cleared. I'll do as many times as you want. So that's how I got into leadership development. I was very fortunate to have known him. And then coaching, I met a CEO and he said, I got this kid working for us, young, smart, dedicated, hardworking, driven to achieve jerk. He said, it'd be worth a fortune to me if we turn this kid around. So I remember the fortune story. So I said, hey, maybe me, maybe me. He said, oh, I don't know. I said, maybe. He said, I doubt it. Then I came up with an idea. I said, I'll work with the kid for a year. He gets better pay me. Then get better. It's free. You know, he said, sold. There was nothing called coaching. There was no field coaching. I, right. made, I made this up. You know, I made it up and, and, you know, he got better and I got paid and life is good. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, I want to, I want to start from the top with your book, The Earned Life. And I, I'll have, I'll go on record here on the show by saying that, you know, I followed you for a while and I feel this is your most personal work to date. I mean, it's, it's raw at times. There are stories about your life that 
really took me by surprise. And so you reveal a different side of Marshall I have not seen before. So why this book? Why now? Well, you know, I think partly it's my age. I'm 73. Mm-hmm. And partly is me spending over COVID, oh, I think 400 hours with 50 incredible people. And they're talking about their lives. And, you know, on the surface, you look at these people, you just look at their bios and you think they're all like gods. Well, maybe not. You know, you spend week after week after week after week after week with these people talking about their lives, you realize they're just as human as anybody else. And so I learned a whole lot during that period that really inspired me to do the book. Okay, so give us the, I want to start at the top. So the 30,000 foot view, I mentioned a little bit in my introduction, but from your own words, what, what's, what's, the, what's the big idea behind the earned life? Well, I think you pretty much captured, captured yeah. part of the introduction. Mm-hmm. I would say it's the connection of three things. Yeah. One is, what is our higher aspiration in life? You need to have some, why am I doing this? Why am I working 80 hours a week? You know, he's got to have some reason here. And then second is, what is our ambition? What are the goals we're trying to achieve? And then third is, what is my day-to-day action? And to the degree that these are connected, you are living what I would call an earned life. Your your day-to-day activities, your ambitions are aligned with some higher purpose other than just showing up every day. So that, that to me is the definition of the earned life. And the really most profound part that I found of the book is the way it hits very successful people. Yeah. Because successful people, if you look at these three factors, one of them is the day-to-day action. Most human beings are stuck in that. You know, if the history of the world, you show up, you eat, you go to work, you do what you're told. Most, most people just live. They're not bad people. That's just what happens. Some people, a smaller group, are lost in aspiration. They're kind of dreamers, they, but they don't do anything, but they've got a lot of good thoughts and ideas. The people I work with, their challenge is ambition. They're goal achievers. Yeah. And what I talk about that's most profound in the book is what happens to goal achievers who overweight goal achievement. And part of that problem with goal achievement is that, one, you can forget your aspiration. Why am I doing this? It gets lost. You get so busy doing it, you forget why you're doing it. And then, two, you can forget to enjoy the process of life. Yeah, yeah. So the premise here is that you, you know, we all fall on this continuum, and you have this scale. Uh, I think it was it's in the introduction of your book. On the far left is fulfillment, right? And this is where most of us want to eventually reach. And then on the far, I'm sorry, yeah, far, yeah. And then on the far right, right, is regret, right? And you say that most of us kind of toggle back and forth between these two emotional polarities, right? Right. So I don't know. I mean, you've interviewed a lot of people, a lot of your clients for this book and your experience. Where do most people fall on that continuum? Well, I think that really depends on the person and the time because that could change. That could change over time. I, I will say that we all get lost. We get lost every day. We get lost. We forget what matters. We forget why we're here. We forget why we're doing. We forget to be happy. So what happens is, and we're going to talk about this later, but just we get lost in the day-to-day inertia of life and yeah. things happen and we just sort of drift around. And then we get lost without a lot of reflection about why am I doing this? What really matters in life and what's important? And then somewhere down the road, you may wake up and say, what was I thinking? Yeah. What was I thinking? So is it is it, do you think that, you know, when we get to that point where we go, 
what, what, what was I thinking? And then we have this deep regret. Is it just because we kind of got lost along the way thinking that it was about ambition instead of aspiration? I mean, I just want to get into the mindset of that person. It's one, it's one reason. It could yeah. be any of the above because I talk about what are you overweighting for? I like that phrase, overweighting. Yeah. Well, you could be overweighting for aspiration. You could be lost in your head and nothing ever gets done. You don't really help any human beings. Many human service leaders, you mentioned love. Many yeah. human service leaders, I've coached a bunch, love humanity. They can't stand human beings. Mm. 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 They, they love humanity and they treat people like dirt. because And they're self-righteous. They talk down to people. They're preachy. So, and they're not fake in a sense. They truly do love the broader picture of humanity. They just don't translate it to people. And so it is possible to get overweighted on aspiration. And most of the people I coach are not that way. Most people yeah, I yeah. coach are overweighted on ambition. They are goal right. achievers and they are just driven to achieve goals. And what happens is the one thing that's one of the more profound points of the book is just never become attached to the results of what you're doing. Never become attached to achievement. Never become attached to the results because what happens, it's a fool's game. It's a fool's yeah. game for the reason. One is, you don't have total control over the results. And two is even more deep. Let's say you achieve the results. All right. How much satisfaction does that bring? A week, a day, a month? Not much. If you're really driven to achieve, guess what you have to do? You have to achieve more. So you get into this cycle of, I have to do better than last year. And one, mm. of the, one of the people that endorsed the book is Albert Berla. Albert sealed Pfizer. So I called Albert. I said, Albert, how's it going? He said, pretty good year. You know, came up with a vaccine, saved a billion lives or so. That's pretty good. And then that's nice. And then I have a new pill. Oh, good. See you over the year. And employee engagement through the roof and company pride is high. I said, Albert, Albert, great news. What's the problem? He said, it'll be a huge problem. Next year. If Albert's definition of a successful life is he has to do better than last year, he might as well give up. It's not yeah. going to happen. He will never repeat it. Michael Phelps won 25 gold medals. After he won the last medal, what did he think about doing? Killing himself. <sighs> Why? If that's it, if achievement is it, he's never going to do it. You're never going to beat that. <sighs> wow. You put your uh, NFL players, disastrous, you know, bankrupt, divorced, depressed. Uh, NBA, not as bad, but still incredibly bad. So very important, never put your identity as a human being or your self-worth as connected to your achievement because you cannot win that game. Yeah. And, and, and let me give you a, one guy in my group was called Safi Bacall. Safi is like PhD from Stanford in physics, got an IQ of 180 or something. He's worth tens of millions of dollars. He's uh, wrote a book called Loon Shots, which is a you know, national bestseller. He's been consultant to presidents, blah, 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 blah. You know, Safi finally said he realized one thing. He used to think that happiness was dependent upon achievement. Mm. And if I achieve, I will be happy. He finally realized happiness and achievement are independent variables. That you can achieve a lot and be happy. You can achieve a lot and be miserable. You can achieve nothing and be happy. And you can achieve nothing and be miserable. He said he finally realized that. And the reality is for a guy like Safi, he's already at 99.99 on achievement. If that's not enough, what is? It becomes insane after a while. How much wow. more do you have to achieve? Like Jim Kim, he saved 20 million lives. How many have saved 25 million? When do you start declaring victory here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So it's 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 getting to that point where you know we we've accomplished, and sometimes we just maybe we're addicted to our own accomplishments, right? We have to have we have to we've reached the top, and 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 then we look up, and there's another mountain to scale, and then we just can't stop. And then, but in in our hearts of hearts, we realize that it's not what I could or should be doing. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. Well, one of the guys I talked about, I changed the names, of course, but in this one, he uh, basically said, you know, I he was a CEO of a Fortune 20 company. And he said, I just worked 80 hours a week for the last 40 years with one goal. I wanted to do this so my children would never have to do it. Then he said, it's the worst thing I could have possibly done for myself, for my wife, and for my children. My wife doesn't know me. My children can't stand me. They're spoiled. They have no ambition. And basically, I wrecked everything. Hmm. Not good. Mm. Not good. Not a good story. And, you know, don't do that. That's a good what not to do case study. Yeah. I talk about, well, I talk about looking at your future and thinking about yourself as a different person. And what he should have said to his kids is, kids, I'm going to work hard to give you an opportunity to do something meaningful. Here's what I want back. I want you to do something meaningful. I want you to try to have a great life. I want you to take advantages to help other people. I want you to be a good person. I want you to be grateful. He left that out. Mm. He just mm. said, here's money. <laughs> but that doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Marshall, you said in the book's introduction that an earned life makes only a few demands of us. And I want to uncover what are those demands. Uh, and we'll, we'll do that after a quick break. So hang tight. Hey, it's Marcel. Let me get honest with you for a minute. We've reached a time in history when building up strong leaders truly matters if you want to grow your business. But managing through fear, command and control, and do as I say, ways of managing, is not going to get you there. So what will? In my research, I found that the most effective leadership boils down to six key behaviors. They are behaviors that, when filtered down to every management level, can create high performance in your teams and build a great work culture. By the way, this is the new topic that I speak on at company events and conferences and virtual stages all over the world. It's great for keynotes, webinars, half-day or full-day workshops, and leadership retreats. So if you want to learn a clear and practical framework to help design the best work environment for your people to flourish, this is the way to go. And I can show you how to do it. To book me for your event, visit my website, marcelschwantes.com, and click on Speaking. Marshall, an earned life makes only a few demands of us. So talk to us a little bit about what are those demands? One of them is living your own life, which sounds pretty simple, but remarkably few of us do this. I mean, the average kid that's flunking out of school in the United States spends about 50 hours a week on non-academic media. Basically, they're living somebody else's life. They're living wow. the life of the Kardashians or the football player or the movie star or something. They're not living their life. And one of the parts of the books I talk about is live your own life. I use an example, and I can't mention his name, his brand friend, Mark Tursick. Mark was managing partner of Goldman Sachs when they did the IPO, which means he had, you know, got slightly less money than God. And then it's kind of like, well, what am I going to do now? So he gets this offer to be in charge of the Nature Conservancy, which is kind of a dream for him, right? Yeah. And he's going like, well, what are my partners at Goldman Sachs going to think? Because I'm not going to make this money. It's like, what do you care what they think? Mm -hmm. 
What do you care? It's not that they're bad people, but why are you trying to impress them? Yeah, they don't care if you leave. They don't care if you're head of the Nature Conservancy. You know, what are you trying to impress? We can get so lost in the concept I call referent group. I learned from Roosevelt Thomas. We can get so lost trying to impress people in our referent group that we forget it's our life. You know, so part of the book is just really focused on live your own life because you're never going to be satisfied living somebody else's life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another one, oh, another demand is is committing yourself to earning every day. So obviously, we've we kind of already covered that. But how, how do we make the, talk to us about making that a habit? Right? It's it has to be habitual, and it really, it uh, I mean, talk about you know you have to change your brain patterns as well to make it a habit because some of us have different habits. <laughs> what happens is we all have this fantasy. We all want to believe that once I do X, everything's going to be fine. You know, once I do X, once I get the money, the BMW, the status, the condominium, the achievement, the Super Bowl, something, once this happens, it's all going to be great. There's one type of book that always has the same ending, and they lived happily ever after. That's Mm -hmm. That's a fairy tale. That's not life. Life is a constant series of restarts. Again, I'm a Buddhist. This is Buddhist philosophy. Every time I take a breath, it's a new me. Well, you've got to focus when you wake up. It's a new day. And we don't think about some of the things we need to earn, like happiness. We forget to be happy. One of the reasons people aren't happy is they forget to be happy. Well, I'm too busy doing stuff. I forget to be happy. I forget to find meaning. Why? Well, I, I got too many phone calls and I'm, I'm my inbox. And, and yeah, we, we just forget the basics of life because we're just following around, doing what we've been done. And, you know, I'm not saying I'm perfect, far from it. I often track myself, what percent of the day was I mindful? And I probably averaged 30%. I'm probably lying to myself on the 30. Probably don't even deserve that. <laughs> Speaking of Buddhism, because uh, there, there's something really intriguing that I found in, in the book. In the Buddhist tradition, and I learned this from you, by the way, a core pillar of it is something called impermanence, which... Right. Is the notion that our emotions, our thoughts, our experiences we hold now, right in the right. present moment, don't last, right? And so, who we were ten years ago, a day ago, or even five minutes ago, is not who we are now. And you call this the every breath paradigm. I would love for you to unpack the every breath paradigm. That is a key point of the book, and it's a key point of Buddhism. Every time I take a breath, it's a new me. Yeah. It- literally a new me. And and that's good and bad. What that means is we're starting over all the time. Somebody asked me, is Buddhism about reincarnation? Buddhism is about nothing but reincarnation. All there is in Buddhism is reincarnation over and over and over and over and over every day. It's always a new me. In the point of Buddhism, the you that's going to be here at the end of this call is not the same as you that started this call. I'll change, you'll change. We will be different people. And a key point is just realizing there is no permanent you. There is no, this is who I am that drifts through eternity. There is no eternal happiness. Once I do this, everything's going to be fine. Look, the great Western art form, you may have seen this before. The great Western art form is always the same. There's a person. Person is sad. They spend money. They buy a product and they become happy. This is called a commercial. I, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those, but that is a message that we've been bombarded with thousands, millions of times. The message is, it's all going to be okay when. 
It's all going to be okay when. Well, the point is, there is no when. There isn't some win when it's all going to be okay. You don't, quote, get there. There's no place that you get to and coast through life. It's just not real. And no matter what you achieve, as I said, it's going to make you happy for a week or two. That's about it. The Buddhist term on that is hungry ghost. Mm. Hungry ghost. Yeah, always eating, but never full. Yeah, yeah. So help help me out here. Help us out to to dig a little deeper on, on connecting the dots with this every breath paradigm that we're not who we were before, connect the dots to living an earned life so that we don't have regrets later on. Well, let's just take coaching. Yeah. I see this as a coach constantly, and I'm sure you've seen this. When I coach people, they will often say, well, that's just the way I am. (laughs) Yep. As if they have some incurable genetic defect. I make them raise their hand and say, you know, my name is Joe. Uh, I have not listened in the past. I do not have an incurable genetic defect. I can listen in the future. I mean, but as soon as we say that's just the way I am, we put ourselves into a box that's almost impossible to ever get out of. Well, why are you that way? Now, some things in life I can't change. I mean, I can't make a tall person short or a short person tall. On the other hand, what I coach people on, it's all changeable stuff. Anybody can change. Anybody can get better. They just need to realize the me that's in the future is not the me that's here right now. One of the stories I love in the book is the story about one of my friends and he's with his wife and they have a great weekend with the kids and everything's good. And then driving back, she starts in on, you know, well, I wish you were here 10 years ago and you know, all this stuff. And he makes it to me a great comment. He says, I'm not the same person. Yeah, 10 years ago, you're right. That guy 10 years, that guy 10 years ago did some stuff that he shouldn't have done. I'm not that person. I am a different person now. And his wife said, you're right. You are a different person. Thank you. And she realized, why am I dredging up 10-year-old garbage about this guy when for, now he doesn't act that way? Yeah. So she was talking about, in a, in a real sense, we are different people. And, and also, I think this helps forgiveness, to forgive ourselves. One of the exercises I have with people that I can that I, that I coach is to say, take, breathe. Now, imagine, breathe. Every time I take a breath, it's a new me. Think of all of those people that existed in your past. We're going to call them the previous yous. Previous yous. Think of all they've given to you that's here. Think about how hard they worked. Think about the nice things they did. If anybody did that many nice things, what should you say to those good people? Thank you. Mm. Thank you. Now, did they make a mistake or two? Yeah. Who's the first person we need to learn to forgive? Let's forgive this person. Yeah, let's forgive this person. And so I think it's very helpful to say, well, you know, look, the previous versions of me made some mistakes. There's nothing I can do to change that. Zero. Zero. And, you know, I'm going to forgive them for what they did and make peace. You know, yeah. of all my little LinkedIn quotes, one people like the most is it says, forgive other people for being who they are and forgive yourself for believing that they were somebody else. Mm. Wow. It, and I love that because I think it helps us to heal also from the traumas of, of our past that we're still hanging on to and, and the scripts that we hold to be false truth in our in our minds you know we we have these scripts that play out in our heads and i think that 
that understanding this this every breath paradigm that we we it, it really it comes down to choice marshall is we we choose to become who we want or who we, who we are destined to be rather than hanging on to our past right yeah, yeah. i i think that's true and you you mentioned the concept of love to me an important part of that is forgiveness mm-hmm. and it's also loving yourself and mm-hmm. you know, what i tell people let's take a concept of happiness I've interviewed thousands of people around the world, thousands of parents. I ask a question. When your kid grows up, what do you want your kid to be? One word comes up more frequently than all other words combined, no matter what country I'm in. What's the word? Happy. So I say, you know, you want your kid to be happy? You want the people who love you to be happy? You want the people who respect you to be happy? You go first. You go first. You'll be happy. And lead by example here. Yeah, you want them to be happy? Let them, let them see you be happy. Quit acting miserable around them. Hmm. Okay, I want to quote quote you from from the chapter on the agency of no choice. And I and the reason I'm doing this because I I want to kind of crystallize the moment here, just to get your reaction. I don't have a question. Okay, and so you say, and I quote: "Creating a learned life is first and foremost a matter of scale, of going really big." on the important things that keep you on message, small on the things that do not influence the outcome. This is the secret of living an earned life. It is lived at the extremes. You are maximizing what you need to do, minimizing what you deem unnecessary, end quote. Um, I, I love that. I mean, we first comment you made when we started is I wear the same clothes every day. You know, I wear a green T-shirt and khaki pants every day. Well, that's one less thought I have to make every day. I wake up, I have, I get up in the morning, I have the same type of coffee, I eat the same little thing. And then, yeah, I just, to me, decision, this is not a theory, decision-making tires us out. It's called, you know, decision-making makes us tired and we, we get fatigued. And every time you have to make a decision, it takes a little mental effort. The fewer you make, the less mental effort they get wasted. Barack Obama has two shirts. He got a gray suit and a blue suit. He got a couple of shirts, white and blue. He wears, he doesn't care. So I wear a blue suit or a gray suit, white, blue, and your shirt. That's about it, right? That's about it. Well, you know, why? Why waste his brain on that kind of stuff? So to me, the more we can take decisions out of our lives, especially not important decisions, the better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to have to take your, uh, your advice on the wardrobe uh, choice <laughs> and, and, and simplify for me as well. So there's, this is really interesting to me. And, and I'm going to tie this to us to the story of you uh, boogie boarding in Manhattan beach, California. Okay. We take many risks in life, which, you know, we later regret. And, and sometimes those risks just, well, the, the, they aren't well thought out, you know? And, and so you have this, this, can I call it maybe a checkoff method that, when we get to that that intersection, like or the, of the decision making, do we do this or do we not? You help us with this this review of, of whether something is either an opportunity we should move forward with or a risk not worth taking. And you learned it the hard way in Manhattan Beach, didn't you? I've done many dumb things. This <laughs> there is one of the dumbest thing in hindsight, <laughs> idiotic. So I'm sitting there. And I'm going boogie boarding. Now, at the time, I'm 27. I'm mm-hmm. not a great athlete anyway. I'm not going to be a professional surfer here. And, and the waves get bigger. And all of a sudden, I catch a couple and get macho. And you know how 
men are like idiots. Oh, you can do it. You can do it. So we started egging each other on. So I decided I'm going to go out and ride the big one. So I sit there and a nine foot wave comes. Well, you've been out in the water, nine foot wave coming at you. You know, it looks like a mountain. Well, you know, I'm on the boogie board. It flipped over straight down, broke my neck in two places. Very lucky. I'm not quadriplegic. Very lucky. Couldn't lost use of my arm for nine months. And I didn't know I'd ever walk there for a while. Why? Well, you go back to this model of our, our, our aspiration life. Was my aspiration life anything to do with surfing? No. Ambition. Do I have some goal to be a great surfer? No. What I got lost in is a temporary thrill. Mm. And that temporary thrill almost cost me my life. Mm. And if you look at that, people who are lost in the action phase, one of the people always puzzled me. One thing I could never understand until recently was why people play a slot machine. That seemed idiotic to me. I have a degree in math, right? It just seems idiotic. Why are you pumping money into something? You know the odds are against you. They tell you the odds. It's not even a secret. You can ask them, what are the odds? They'll tell you. You know you're not going to win. What are they doing? It It never made any sense to me. Well, it was why the reason finally I figured out why people like it. They just have a different time perspective. For me, I was, you know, I have a PhD. I've done books. A lot of my life has been delayed gratification. What happens is, to the slot machine person, you're there anyway. You've got these chips in front of you. Here's a machine. If your time horizon is the next minute, the absolutely best investment of your time is to put the money in. You'll have the best minute that you could possibly get out of that minute. Of course, if your time horizon is beyond two minutes, it's pretty stupid. But if your time <laughs> if your time horizon is a minute, it's fine. If your time horizon is short, shoot up heroin. Mm. Why? It's going to feel good. And, you know, if that's your time horizon, it's probably a very good use of your time. Well, the point is, you know, what is your time horizon? And if you look at our action, that's our immediate horizon. Our ambition is setting a goal. And then our overall aspiration is beyond any time horizon. It's a big purpose of who am I? Now, the people I coach, though, are not lost in action. They get lost in ambition. Mm -hmm, Right. They're very good at delayed gratification. Now, there's the one of the stories I love in the book the most is about the uh, the marshmallow story. Now, the research about the marshmallows is I love this. They give the kid a marshmallow. And they say, kid, you eat the marshmallow, you get one. But if you wait, oh, two. And then they have allegedly all this research of longitudinal research is the kids that ate the marshmallow become drug addicts, and the kids that waited all get PhDs from Harvard. So, you know, the research seems a little far fetched, but the point is hard to argue with. Delayed gratification is good. 95% of all self help books, what I say, delayed gratification is good. My book is different. It says, no, delayed gratification is not always good. Here's what they didn't do in the study they didn't take the kid with two marshmallows, said, kid, wait a little longer. Three. Hey, wait some more, four, five, wait longer, 10, 50, 100. And where do you end up? An old man waiting to die in a room surrounded by thousands of uneaten marshmallows. (laughs) Sometimes you need to eat the marshmallow. Right. Now, Jack Welch, I like the Jack Welch story. Jack Welch almost dies. He has a triple bypass. So my buddy, Mm -hmm. Mark, worked with Jack Welch. So he said, well, what'd you learn about life, Jack, when you almost died? And it goes back to marshmallow study. You know what Jack Welch said? Why am I drinking the damn cheap wine every night? <laughs> Jack Welch was rich. He had an incredible wine cellar. He had all these fancy wine. You know what he's doing? He was letting it, quote, appreciate in value. Jack Welch, who's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, is letting his wine appreciate in value, which amounts to nothing on his net worth, number one. And number two, he almost died. 
He's going, why am I drinking cheap wine every night? I'm insane. My name is Jack Welch. No more cheap wine. And his one commitment after dying is no more, almost dying, no more cheap wine. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you got to say, if all you do is delayed gratification, you know what you get out of life? Delay. You know what you don't get? Gratification. So in the book, I talk about this achievement holics where if they're not careful, they either miss the aspiration, the big picture, why am I doing this? Or they miss the day-to-day enjoyment of life. You don't want to miss either of those. Yeah, yeah. Such great illustrations. Marshall, I want to wrap up this, this segment on the book and then and, and transition to and just asking you some leadership and coaching questions. But can I ask you a couple of personal questions about sort of where you are? L- looking back, I mean, what is your, what's your biggest regret? You know, my biggest regret, actually, I have very little regret. Let me tell you why. Yeah. I always ask a question. If I had a chance to go back in life, what would I change? The answer was nothing. Nothing. Now, you know what? It's not that I didn't make mistakes. I mean, I made thousands of mistakes. Here's the point. If I got rid of the mistakes, I'd get rid of everything I learned from the mistakes. Now, I was brought up in Valley Station, Kentucky. The first four years I was in school, we had an outhouse. I wasn't brought up at Harvard Prep. The odds on me being where I am from where I'm from are phenomenally close to a zero. As a fan of science fiction, my belief is, uh, you know, you change the timeline, <laughs> you may lose. <laughs> so my theory is, what would I change? Nothing. You know, mm-hmm. why? I'm happy with how it all turned out. Life is good. I'll just take it as it is. Anything I change will probably make it worse rather than better. So I'm, I have to say myself on the regret scale, very, very low. I don't have a lot of regret. The other thing I'm good at is self-forgiveness. I'm very good at forgiving myself for all real or imagined sins. Uh, whatever I did, I did. You know, hopefully I learned something. If I did, I did. If I didn't, I didn't. Make peace. Yeah, yeah. So the flip side of the question, you know, we as we age, Right. And I, I can totally see this happening in my own life now that I'm in my 50s, is that the things that were important 20 years ago, 10 right. years ago, five years ago, are it's not something I want to check off the list anymore, you know? I mean, priorities have changed. So for you, what do you wish to fulfill in life right now? Well, you know, my priorities have changed. As I've grown older, in some levels, my uh, level of aspiration is actually going down and down and down. My level of impact is going up and up and up. Mm. Why? I pretty much quit worrying about what I'm not going to change. Peter Drucker said, look, our mission in life is to make a positive difference, not to prove we're smarter, right? Before you deal with any anything, ask a question, am I willing to make the investment required to make a positive difference here? If the answer is no, let it go. Just yeah. let it go. Don't waste your life. If you're not going to change it. You're not going to make it better. Just let it go. So I'm pretty good at that one. And now let me give you my bigger mission. My bigger mission is to help as many people as I can before I die and then after I die. That's my bigger mission. Right. And then when I say after I die, leave stuff that others can use and take with them. Sure. And then, you know, my my basic goal on this website is or on our podcast is, you know, let's say one person has a little better life based on this call. You know what? This is a good call. Hmm. So the reader to listener out there, I'm telling you what my goal is help you have just a little better life. That's all. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm I'm giving up on curing cancer, saving the world for democracy, climate change. I'm probably not going to fix it by myself. How about helping one human being have a little better life? That's good enough for me. When I coach people, you know what I tell them now? You're already rich and you're already successful and you're already doing fine. 
you meet me, you'll be successful. You don't, you'll be, I just want to help you have a little better life. Mm-hmm. And you would be surprised to learn this. How many people I coach have ever told me that was a bad idea? None. You know what they say? That's a good plan. Let's go for a little better life here. Let's just do that. Let's just go for have a little better life. And one of the guys I'm coaching is worth $4 billion. I said, what am I supposed to do? Get you up to 4.1 billion? <laughs> <laughs> What's the point? He said, you're right. There is no point. I yeah. just want to have a better life. Yeah. As we wind down here, what do you ultimately hope the readers will take away from your, your book, The Earned Life? Uh, well, one, have a little better life. Two, make peace. Make peace with what is. Make peace uh, and, and realize don't become – because most of my readers are achievement-oriented people. Um, my readers are 90-plus percent college graduates. Two-thirds have graduate degrees. They tend to be very ambitious people. And they don't need me to give them a path talk on go out and achieve things. What I want to get out of life is to balance this issue. Not balance, let's say align is a better word. Align the idea of what is my larger purpose? Now, what am I achieving that's connected to that? And how can I love the process of doing it? That's about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, before we bring it home, we have uh, a tradition on the show, and it's posing the leadership love question. So here it is. You ready? Yes. <laughs> Marshall, how do leaders show actionable love day in and day out, but really in a way that helps both people and the businesses they lead to flourish? Well, hopefully that's what I teach each of my clients to do. Every one of my clients gets confidential feedback and they go back and talk to everybody. They ask them first, how can I be a better leader? Then they listen to them. They apologize for their mistakes. They involve them and they try to get better. So to me, if you talk about actual love, it's not reading a theory of love. It's are you actually doing anything every day that's related to this love? Are you doing things that show you care? Are you doing things that show their opinions matter? When they give you their opinion, are you doing anything about it? Yeah. To me, that's it. And so hopefully that's what I do with all people I coach. We bring it home with two questions. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you would like us to know? Well, I think basically what's tugging at my heart is we've gone through hard times. Mm-hmm. Gone through very, very hard times. And I think it's just important to have a support group. Mm. One of the things I've done is I went to this program called Design the Life You Love, and the woman said, who are your heroes? And they were kind and generous people. She said, you should be more like them, like Peter Drucker and Francis Sesselmine, Alan Mulally, these people who helped me. Be like them. I decided to adopt 15 people, teach them all I know for free. And the only price is when they got old, they had to do the same thing. So I made a little video and put it on LinkedIn. I'm thinking maybe 100 people would apply, and I'd adopt 15. I was wrong. So far, 18,000 people applied. I've adopted 370. And, you know, the whole idea is just give things to people and don't ask for something back. Don't charge them money. Just give things to people and just say, well, someday you give something to somebody else. So I'd say, you know, to the degree we can create an environment where people feel free to, number one, ask for help without feeling ashamed. And then number two, receive help without feeling they have to pay something. And then just try to give things away to others. That's a large part of the 100 Coaches program that I do. And it's a large part of what I did in what's called the LPR week after week after week, which is an amazing, amazing process. So I just hope people are lonely right now. 
really lonely. I mean, there's no saying it's lonely at the top. It used to be lonely at the top. It is lonelier at the top now. It is unbelievably lonely now. People are lonely. It's not a theory. It's pretty well documented fact. And I think just having a sense of community, the people around just try to help you, don't put you down, don't judge you. Very, very important. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be a lone ranger. Yeah. Well, finally, you get to close us out your way with that one last takeaway to, you know, to keep us inspired. Well, I'm not going to give you the best coaching advice people are going to get in this or any other lifetime. Here it comes. Take a deep breath. Ah, imagine that you're 95 years old and you're just getting ready to die. Here comes that last breath. Right before you take the last breath, you're given a beautiful gift. The ability to go back in time and talk to the person who's listening to me right now. The ability to help the person be a better leader, much more important. The ability to help the person have a better life. What advice would the wise 95-year-old you who knows what really mattered in life and what did not matter and what was important and what was not important. What advice would that old person have for the you that's listening to me right now? Well, whatever that is, do that. <laughs> in terms of performance appraisal, that's the only one that matters. Back to regret. That old person says you did the right thing. You did the right thing. That old person says you made a mistake. You made a mistake. You do not have to impress anyone but that old person. Mm. Second bit of advice is friends and family. Don't get so busy climbing that corporate ladder, that ladder of achievement and success. You forget the people who love you. Too many people do that. And then number three is if you have a dream, go for it. And it doesn't have to be a big dream, maybe a little dream. Go to New Zealand, speak Spanish, play guitar. Other people think your dream is goofy. Who cares? Not their dream. It's your dream. Not their life. It's your life. Uh, old people, we almost never regret the risk we take and fail. We regret the risk we fail to take. Business advice, not much different. Number one, life is short. Have fun. Enjoy the process of life. Enjoy the journey of life. Number two, do whatever you can do to help people. And the main reason to help people has nothing to do with money or status or getting ahead. Main reason to help people is much deeper. The 95-year-old, you will be proud of you because you did. Disappointed if you don't. And if you don't believe that's true, interview old people who are retired. Ask them, well, what are you proud of? The opposite of regret. What are you proud of? Well, they never talk about how big their office was. Yeah. All they talk about is people they help. And the final advice also the same. Go for it. Your world's, change, world's changing. Industry's changing. You know, do what you think is right. And finally, you know, my goal in this call, pretty simple. Hopefully, a few of the people listening to you and me got something out of this and they have a little better life. Mm-hmm. That's, that's enough for me. Yeah, you and I share a lot in common. That's the whole reason why I do what I do. And, you know, it's, it's to make a difference in people's lives. And, uh, you know, just one leader at a time. And we got a lot of them listening right now. So hopefully right. something is going to stick. <laughs> well, we are at the end of our conversation. If uh, people want to connect with you, what's, what's to learn more about you? What's the best way they can uh, do that? Well, my book is called The Earned Life, and that's going to be out on May 3. That is real easy to buy. Well, I got a million-dollar advance, so my guess is it's going to be in almost everything. <laughs> They're not going to give me a million dollars and then not have it be in a bookstore, so it's probably going to be in all the bookstores. So uh, I, that's one thing you can do. Number two is you send me an email, Marshall with two L's at MarshallGoldsmith.com. I have my website, www.MarshallGoldsmith.com. Go to YouTube, put my name in quotes. You're going to see 
hundreds of videos. I give everything away. You make copy, share, download, duplicate, modify if you want, change it, put your name on it. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I give everything away anyway. Hey, well, my new research has indicated we're all going to be equally dead here. Might as well do a little good here. Do a little good. So any of my stuff that you can use, please use in any way that you wish. And I don't care. That's awesome. <laughs> You've exceeded my expectations. Uh, it's been a fun an engaging conversation, and I'm I'm honored, sir, that that you would uh, endow us with your presence today. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much to asking me, and I love what you're doing. So, thank you. Join the conversation and comment on this episode with hashtag Love in Action Podcast, and look for my show notes from this episode on my website, marcelschwantes.com. And finally, we're always looking for sponsors to help spread the Love and Action movement globally. If you have an interest, reach me on my website or hit me up on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the Love and Action podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it, and watch your business grow.